Hello and welcome to this episode of Untold. I'm Maeve Dennehy and I'm joined today by Pat Walker, who I do know through um, the fashion industry. But my very first fashion show that I did, maybe my second, was in the Charleville Park in 2000, January 2013. My sister was actually with me at the time. And I remember meeting Pat. I just really liked you. You were just really oh. warm and lovely. Um, and you were, I suppose, an older model. Absolutely. And you were just starting out. Just starting out. I think Maeve yours was the second show I'd ever done. Really? And honest to God, to be asked back for a second time, it was like, you know, all... What, what, what's the word I'm looking for now? It was like all your birthdays in one day. And how did you go into modelling? You were with Emer and Vivian in lockdown agency at the time. I did. And my, I tell you now, I got to know Emer through my husband who worked with Emer um, at the time. And um, Emer asked me to do a fashion show for Age Action Ireland. And I had never dreamt in a million years that I would have the confidence to get up on a runway and to actually walk, and I refused at first, and I thought, no, I couldn't do it, I would fall, the usual things everybody's going to think What age would you have been of. then, Pat? On um, what? What age were you then? I was 55 oh my God. then, yeah. so you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And um, then they came back to me and said it was for Age Action Ireland, and I sat down and I thought about it, and I thought about Age Action Ireland, 55 plus, I'm now 55, I need to do this for Age Action Ireland, because mm-hmm. I may need these people in the future. Yeah. Um, and that's the reason I did it, and it was the most exciting, exhilarating moment of my life, I yeah. have to say. It was local, there was no big drama or anything. Yeah. It was just a local audience in the Maryborough House, I, if I, I think remember. sometimes local can be harder. They can be, but you have great support, because... Mm-hmm. Like my husband was so taken aback that I was going to do this show. He's probably looking at you like, I'm just going modelling there. I'm just going <laughs> modelling there. And he was, but I knew he was proud because what did he do? And I didn't know it. He came to the Maryborough Hotel. He didn't have a ticket because he was embarrassed to come in because they'd be mostly women. And he stayed outside the front door peeping in the whole night every time I oh came on. Oh my God. So that really touched me and I th- sort of thought, oh my God. And he was beaming afterwards and he was thrilled and he was happy. And How long are like you married? I love the way you talk about I it. I am married 1985, so we're married 37, 37 years um, since June. And you obviously have him well trained because he dropped you here today. Yes, <laughs> he's my chauffeur. He's since retired. We're both retired, really. And, right. you know, it's actually lovely, Maeve, because he likes to drive mm-hmm. and I get to go to uh, different venues around the country to work. Mm-hmm. And he joins me. And I suppose from the very beginning for me, it was a dream come true. It wasn't about making money. Mm-hmm. That just didn't come into it. It was... I felt a bit of an imposter, mm-hmm. I suppose, really. And mm-hmm. I would in no way, shape or form ever, ever say, even when my daughter says to me, Heather, when people ask me, what do you do? Do you still work? And I just say, yeah, I work part time. But what? where do you work? And I'm very reluctant to say I model. Pat, you're one of the top models in Ireland. You're <laughs> on Ireland AM every second day. You're on the Today Show. You're everywhere I look. Your energy is infectious. Like if anyone that has a show, it's like, we want Pat, we want Pat. Fast forward five years from when I first met you, I think it was five, maybe six years, and it was the Gok Wan show. I'd kind of seen you on and off in between, but you walked out that day. I remember my mum and my mother-in-law were with me, and you walked out that day yeah. in your underwear, and I just thought it was the most empowering thing. Like, it was incredible. A room full of women, and you looked amazing, and you just... I, I just I don't know, since then I've had massive admiration for you. I suppose just that you, you, you hold yourself so well... You have that kind of quiet confidence? Well, quiet, yeah. It took many years to build any bit of confidence because I was a painfully shy person in my entire life. But you are a quiet person in your own way, I and am. I don't know if people necessarily see that through a lens. Yes. But in person, I know that you are. You're very unassuming. Absolutely right. I am. I do lack confidence. I still do, but but I've learned an awful lot, and that comes with age as well, Maeve. Yeah, I agree. Um, but on that particular time with Gokwan, I mean, to get to work with Gokwan, mm. I mean, I was absolutely stunned. Oh, I thought I'd have a breakdown when we got to do a show with him. It was just it the was, dream. Wasn't like, it? Cause it, 
for years that's all you'd watch on TV, yeah, wasn't it? Absolutely. And to have this guy in person talking to you and telling you and and we got on so well yeah. and, and I hit it off with Gokwan and um and we became good buddies and for him when they asked me to go out and do the underwear and do a bikini and I said under no circumstances and now I have to say Vivian mm-hmm. and Eam are both said there's no pressure. Yeah. You're if you're not comfortable going up there, don't do it. Mm-hmm. But because they spoke to me and said it's about inclusion, it's about body shapes, it's about ages, you know. And when they spoke, I thought, okay, if I don't do it, nobody is going to do it. But it might start something, mm-hmm. and it might help somebody else, and just embrace what you have. And whilst it was nerve wracking, I got the greatest r- applause. I, I remember the it room that day. It just it lit up. Literally, it really did. Yeah, it really I think Liz did. Desmond came out as well after you, and it was just so. She did. It's just so normal, it you know. Was, yeah. And you know, you d- everything was real. Yeah, real that was people, it. Real body, different shapes, different ages, and. That's where it's an education, really, mm. that, you know, I learned, you know, own what you have and be comfortable with what you have. I've, I'm, you know, at that point, I was probably about 57, 58 mm-hmm. years old mm-hmm. and uh, I wouldn't even wear a bikini on a beach, mm. not to mention go up on a stage yeah. uh, in front of an audience in your underwear. Yeah, you know? I know, and the support that you got. And it was incredible. I mean, they got out of their seats, and without that, I that's what I love as well about Cork. I love about a local audience, because you have people there that know you, and they know you very well, and they know you a long time. And of course, no matter what you look like, they're going to go up and cheer you on. You looked amazing, by the way. But no, yes, well, I know, I agree. Thank and you. it is important. And it was just a lovely feeling in the room that day of... There was no judgment. It was just women supporting women and a lovely atmosphere. And it was just fantastic to see, you know. Amazing and incredible. Uh, And we had a few shows after that with Gokwan and I went on and I just thought, yeah. You ended up traveling to his shows up the country, didn't you? I got booked for many shows after that with Gokwan when he came in. Every show he did in Ireland, in actual fact, I got booked. Um, I remember seeing that. I remember seeing you consistently at every show afterwards. It was and just thinking fair play to you. Like he was handpicking you because he wanted to work with you, like. And I uh, do you know what um what blew me away completely. My friend was with me and we're both the same age. Like mm-hmm. we both now recently celebrated sixty sixth birthday, my friend Anne. Mm-hmm. And she comes around me a lot at the time to the mm-hmm. shows and what we do is we take a two or three night break because we're both retired and we said, Okay, I have a show, do you want to come up to Sligo? Oh yes, love it and we do a bit of touring. And I'll always remember I was going up for the Gokwan show in Sligo. Yeah. And I remember walking into the Radisson Hotel in yeah. Sligo and just about to check in with my friend Anne. And the next thing, who walks down the hall but Gokwan? Yeah. So my friend is looking, going, oh, my God, oh, my God, look who's coming. <laughs> oh, my God, it's as him. As subtle as a brick. <laughs> and he walked down and said, oh, my God, Pat, oh. Pat, it's you. Oh my God, give me a hug. And my friend was just blown away, and so was I, that this is Gok Wan, that's on TV in England, that's known throughout the world, is saying, Hi Pat, how are you? My friend, and whatever. And it was a surreal moment. It was I know, surreal. but I think you do stand, you did stand out in that, like obviously, and this is no disrespect to any other models out there, but you know, there's a, even when I go to select models for events, there's an awful lot of size eight younger models out there. There is, Absolutely, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. then you come in in that age category. You normally wear 12, don't you? 10 12, to 12, 12 very normally. Very average 12. Yeah, you know, and I yep. think it's it's refreshing. And and as I said earlier, you have that quiet confidence. You know, you built that rapport with him. People remember you. You have that. And it's, it's such a lovely thing to have. They do. And I think some people say, well... It, like many people have come back to me after shows that were in an audience, no matter where the show might be in the country, and they have come back to me. As recently as last Friday, I was in Dublin to do the Womankind show. Oh, yeah, I saw for that. For the Dublin yeah. Rape Crisis Centre. And now you're talking top models in Dublin mm-hmm. for many years. I mean, working with uh, Eureka and Sarah Morrissey and yeah. people like that and Ali, they're top models. Yeah. I mean, they're five foot ten. Their size eight or size ten, stunning and yeah. professionals. And I'm thinking, my God, what am I doing here with these people? You still feel that though. I still feel that. I feel a little bit like I said to you earlier, Maeve. I feel like an imposter. Mm. Like how? How? Why would I get this job? How? What am I doing up here with these people? Because okay. I don't see myself as a model, as as what you'd 
do you know the the, the model is five foot ten, size eight, certain age, and and that's the way models were seen. Thankfully, that has changed. But just the actual afterwards, the audience coming out, and you know when you're chatting and whatever, and the amount of women that came up and said, "Oh my God." What you wore, I will buy. Mm. Because I know now what it looks like on a 66-year-old. I know what your body shape is. I know what height you are, because I'm obviously not as tall as the other mm-hmm. models. Yes. Um, and that just gives you that little bit of confidence. God, I mustn't have been too bad. God, yeah. that's great. And you're helping. I know it it's might seem trivial, and you know, but you're helping those women to see what they could potentially wear and to have the confidence that age. It's it's a lovely thing to give to people to have that relatability. Absolutely. And just to have the chats with them. And it's about coming out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that's number one. I, I, came, I came out of my comfort zone over the last 10 years like I never imagined. You know what I'm fascinated by, Pat, that you keep pushing yourself? Because then you went on Instagram. Like you were always on Facebook, yes. Pat Walker, Vintage yes. Vogue on Facebook, and I, you know, I followed you religiously, and then Instagram came about, and I find I'm forty two, and I find it overwhelming. TikTok and this thing and that thing, and trying yeah. to keep up with everything is hard, and you're trying to stay relevant and keep your name out there, and you've done it on Instagram. You've embraced everything. I have, and that's true. Being pushed because I am a tech phobia, like I have a phobia oh, completely. You, <laughs> you've told me this and a few times. I have like. And just to let people know that that I am afraid to push a button on like my phone in case I lose everything or I do the wrong thing. But with the help of my daughter. But I'll tell you who pushed me to do it, Mandy Marr, who would yeah. be the agency I would I've work heard that with. Mandy's I've met Mandy and dealt with her she's occasionally. She's meant to be a very supportive person. Oh, she's an incredible person and she has given me so much time and so like she she said to me, You need to be on Instagram because people love to see you. People want to see the 66-year-old or the 60-year-old mm-hmm. and what they can wear and whatever. And it does an awful lot as well for local boutiques who are now changing. Yeah. Like yourself, you were one of the early ones, mm-hmm. Maeve, yeah. I have to say, who embraced the diversity, the inclusion of different ages, sizes. It's very important, though. It really is. And, I mean, you've grown a massive business and it is so beautiful to see. Yeah, no, in, it's extremely important because... There's too much of the perfection out there, you know what I mean? Now, it I is. also find, I don't know how you feel, I find that if I put up a size 16 model today, I'll get a load of comments saying it's great to see real women, which I massively disagree with because actually your size 6 model is a real woman also. Absolutely, you I know, agree. We there need to embrace everybody, not everyone. just embrace people with a curve or just embrace people who are older. Everybody Absolutely. deserves the same opportunity. I agree. I agree with you 100%. And there's nothing wrong with like having a, a fashion show with... Like usually you'd have six, eight models mm-hmm. and to include maybe an older model, curvy model, petite model mm-hmm. and your regular yeah. because there are so many regular people. My own daughter is five foot ten mm-hmm. and a size twelve. Yeah. And, and and you know, it's lovely to see five foot ten there yeah. as well, who are look statuesque, they look amazing. And but you need that. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Audience. Well, yeah. from from my point of view, you sell more. To be perfectly honest with you, because people want somebody that they can relate to. Do you know what I mean? It is. It does help. Yeah. It does, and especially things. I remember years ago when I looked at Mother of the Bride, and that's mm-hmm. before I ever stepped on a runway. And I remember thinking, well, that looks amazing on her. Like she's eighteen. She's a size eight. She's five foot ten. But Mother of the Bride. It doesn't I mean, make sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. No. It doesn't add up. No. You cannot. Like it, somebody said to me before about clothing, um, sort of, would I be careful about what I wear? Do I believe in age appropriate? And you know what? My answer is yes. And I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Age appropriate. Because I would never put a 12-year-old in a bra top. Yeah. So in certain areas in the industry... Mm-hmm. I would be, yes, I would go, yes, that's not age appropriate for an 11 or 12-year-old. And it's okay to say that. I think people are afraid to say and certain I, things these days. Yes, I think it's okay to say that. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it, no, that's grand. If you're a, if a different mind, that's fine too. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. But yes, I do think age appropriate. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm very funny, personally, at 66, um, I would be very conscious of wearing a very short skirt or a very low top. Okay. And that's just me. But I've been like that since I was 16. Yeah, yeah. I've been like that at 20. Yeah. 
and it's just my sense of style. Yeah, but I think uh, you have your own unique sense of style, but you're not afraid it's to try things, but you stick to your own personality as well. Do you yes. know what I mean? And if your personality is not to be flashing skin, that's okay that's too. That's you know, it. I think that that's yes. it's just about being yourself, isn't it? And I think a lot of women struggle really and truly, Maeve, with the things like, um, you know, modern fashion trends. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we all love to look and read the books and the magazines and watch TV. But they don't know how to transition. Yeah. And they're stuck in a rut. Yeah. And it's just a way of letting them know, okay, you're like me. You might not want to wear these low mesh tops mm-hmm. and whatever, but you can still be on trend. There are yeah. so many things out there in your shop, in everybody's shop, that are trendy. Yeah. That are suitable for all age groups if you put them right would your advice and be get just them right to together. try them to go Absolutely. in and try on stuff and just okay have to yeah I agree have to I think if you see something on a hanger even just this week at work we had um, my own brand came in but a couple of girls were like oh I wouldn't wear that piece but I'd wear that one because it has a v-neck or it has a certain yes. length but I'm like just try it and it's often the thing that you don't think will work absolutely 110 yeah. percent and I tell everyone that when myself I go into a shop and I make sure I try a few things on. I like them on the hanger. Have a look. Mm. And what you thought was absolutely stunning mm. doesn't do anything for you. Yeah. May not be. But I always say, look in the mirror. And I have this thing my daughter noticed as well when she's shopping. If I'm in front of a mirror and I love an outfit, yeah. I put my hand on my hip and I'm so like... Mm, You're in the zone. In that <laughs> zone. <laughs> and if you feel like... Yeah. You will just get that feeling of... Oh my God, I'm not so bad. Look at that. Oh my God, that looks quite cool. That's amazing. Yeah. And oh, that's in the bag. Yeah, in no. the bag. Because I'd always say to people, if you're not sure about it when you're buying it, don't buy it. No, don't no. buy it. If you don't no. feel that 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 good in it there and then, just don't bother. Like, don't. There'll be something else that you will. Yeah. How do you feel about online shopping, Pat? Um, I have done a bit. Be honest with me, by the way. Forget about my business. Absolutely yeah. no. I've been very honest with you. Um, I'll always remember. There was Eddie Shanahan, if you know Eddie Shanahan in Dublin, and he'd be kind of uh, oh, one of the top men in the fashion industry okay. in Ireland, okay. and he would have travelled the world. Um, I can't remember now what foundation in Dublin, but it's like a fashion foundation okay. he would be yeah. the chair of. Um, and I'll always remember him being asked that question mm-hmm. about online shopping. And he said, yeah, maybe there is a place for it, particularly during COVID, we'd mm-hmm. have been lost mm-hmm. without online shops. But you can't smell the perfume. Mm. You can't feel the fabric. Mm. Oh, I completely agree. I'm an in-store shopper. Yes. Do you understand mm-hmm. me? It And that's why we need shops. Oh, we I need agree. physically to walk into a shop and feel that fabric, smell that perfume, touch something, you know, tactile. Mm-hmm. And to me, we have to have shops. No, I agree. We need to get them supported. Oh, no, I think there needs to be a mix of both. I think, you know, people are busy and yeah, you click and buy something online, you need it for the weekend. I don't think you'll ever beat that experience of going into any shop, not just small boutiques, but any shop, having that personal interaction, trying it on the dressing room. I don't, I I don't see that ever going and I hope it never does. No, it would be, uh, that's why I keep saying and I put up every Instagram post I put up, I will put up, please support local please shop local, whatever, because there's nothing like it. No, I And agree. if we lose that, I tell you, it's going to be a very sad society. It really is, isn't it? It's like going to be a very lonely and yeah, sad society. No, I agree, I agree. I did hear of a, new, a few new shops opening in Park Street. I think Dune is oh, opening in town. Wow. And I heard of oh, a few, they are. which would yeah. be great. Yeah. Because it needs more in Cork City, doesn't Park it? Park Street needs way more. Yeah, it really does. But I do love, I, I'm an in-store shopper as well, that's funny. I tell do. me, over the years, Pat, have you ever had moments where... I suppose somebody gave you any hassle online or anything, anything negativity towards you over since you've started modelling and put yourself out there? Very no, I must say yes. I have had negative negativity um, no more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one person. I had a picture up, and one person came in and made the comment of obviously a keyboard warrior because mm-hmm. the picture was like a cat. A cat. A cat. Yeah. <laughs> You know yourself. <laughs> I do, we I all do. do. But it was something like, um, can you tell me please who does your Botox and your fillers because your face is completely frozen? It's amazing, whoever does it. Trying and to make it a compliment. Yeah, and I thought, 
You know, if you want to know anything about my skincare routine and what I do, mm-hmm. I, I'm actually very open. If no, you are. I know I'm you are. absolutely 110% open. Mm-hmm. If you want to know if I had fillers, send me a message privately. No if problem. you want to know who the clinician is or who the beauty therapist is, mm-hmm. send me a message. I have no problem whatsoever. But to put that type of thing on Facebook mm-hmm. is not nice. I yeah. can take it. I'm over 60. I've gone through a lot in life, good and bad. And I'm well able to manage and take that. Yeah. Um, best it, thing is just to move on. No, I agree completely. I think as you're older, you can deal with it better. But I do worry. I won't like. I worry for Molly now. Uh, you know, growing up in that environment. Sure, you know, sure. where people can just hide behind a keyboard or whatever it might be. But let's get back to the positives. So tell me yeah. some of your favorite experiences over the last few years. I suppose really. Um, I feel like you're at everything, so I'm dying to I know. know. I know. I've had, and just to let people know, mm. everything is not perfect in my life. You know, I know that to too. That no, I know, I and it's important. It's yeah. important to know that, like, I know you've gone through a lot. What you see on on Instagram, what you see on Facebook, genuinely, is like if you see even one picture of me on Instagram, there may be ten have been taken, mm-hmm. and one of the best pictures will be put up, not the worst one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so oh, it's true. It is you true. Know, these yeah. kind of things. No, yeah. life is not perfect. Everyone has a story, and everyone has a story to tell, and I'm no different to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um. But there has been a lot of positives in my life. And I'll tell you what one positive is. And you won't expect me to say it. The greatest gift I ever got is I suffered chronic depression. Okay. And anxiety. Severe anxiety. And it went on for a full 12 months. And if I was in my pyjamas, I would think for 12 months. The best part of. No makeup. No, didn't take phone calls. Couldn't talk to people. It got so severe and chronic. And the most positive thing in my life was that, first of all, I was privileged to have private health insurance. Mm-hmm. I always see that as a privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was it was suggested to me by a psychiatrist who my GP referred me to mm-hmm. um, that I go into St. Patrick's Hospital in Dublin. Really? Yes. And When was this at? It was... The last time I w- it was Heather was doing her leaving cert, so it would have been about thirteen years ago. Okay. And um, I'd be a very sensitive type person anyway, and things would hurt me. But this was like going on. This was major, mm-hmm. and I spent over six months in St Patrick's Hospital in Dublin. And I'm telling you something, it was the greatest privilege, the care I got. Really? That was given to me, and I was in that. I felt in a very privileged position just to have private health insurance. Yeah. Because when I went there, people talk about going into a mental hospital or a psychiatric hospital. I think we all have somebody in our families who've been affected with mental illness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I remember saying to my daughter, who unfortunately, the poor thing, was doing her leaving cert at the time. But because I tried to take away the stigma, I'm getting ready to go into this hospital. I'm not feeling ver- I'm not feeling well at all. But, you but I, I remember. Thank you for recognizing it, Pat. Did you yourself want to go and get help at that point? Absolutely. I remember going to my GP, and she tried to help me with an antidepressant. And you know, you come back after mm-hmm. four weeks or six, and she was an incredible GP as well. I must say. Um, and she said to me, "Let me put it this way to you, Pat." She said, um, "I." I'm not qualified enough to deal with your problem. I've tried this. It doesn't work. Would you consider a psychiatrist if I, you know, sent you to see you? And I said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Please help me. It doesn't matter what I have to do. I want to do this. I want to get well. I don't want to live like this anymore. Yeah. Um, And I went to see the psychiatrist uh, in Cork, Dr. Jen Dennehy, an amazing man. And he suggested at that point that I would definitely need hospitalization. You know, because you have you're offered counselling, therapy, all yeah. types of classes. Yeah. It's not just about medication. No, of course. It's a number of things uh, together and it was the greatest gift I ever got in my life. Tell me, like did that come out of nowhere, Pat, or was it It was the second boat I had suffered. I'd suffered a boat in nineteen eighty nine mm-hmm. and I know that um, looking back and the counselling in within that hospital mm-hmm. and, and talking to counsellors and therapists and working in mindfulness and everything, I learned an awful lot that when I lost my mom mm-hmm. unexpectedly in 1972, mm-hmm. when she passed away unexpectedly and quickly. How young was your mom, Pat? 
um, 45. Yeah. And I was 15 years old and I was the eldest of seven children. And it was such a tragic shock because it happened so quickly. Uh, like one minute I'm sitting around this table having, we were having milk and my mom having tea, the two girls, the rest were in bed and my dad and the next thing um, she took ill and she, my dad took her to the hospital, she went out the door and I never saw her again. So I also became a mom overnight. I was just going to say, did you assume that role then? Absolutely. Of course you did, being the eldest. I had to assume that role. Now, it would, to me, looking back at the time, it was the most natural thing to do, is to take on that role. It was probably role. a coping mechanism as well. Yes, and, and you had to be there. And the worry then for me at the time, I didn't even have time, I don't think, to grieve for mom. It was, is my dad going to be okay? What if I lose my dad? What if something like this happened to my dad and he dies suddenly? Uh, what am I going to do with the children? How am I going to cope? Will we all have to go to an orphanage? So this is on a 15-year-old's head. So you can imagine in later years, yeah. that all came out during the counselling and the therapy. And yes, I had that's what caused the major mm-hmm. anxiety, depression in my life because it was never, ever dealt with. Mm-hmm. You know, And I remember one... And we're going off the fashion no, thing completely. No, no, I, I, I appreciate you telling me this. I apologise. Um, we, I remember this one guy saying to me that what you have to remember is, like, I always put my dad on a pedestal because he was the most amazing man. Mm. And he passed I'm away. Guilty of this here now, so yeah. I'm just nodding. Two years ago, he passed away, unfortunately, during so COVID. So mm. it was a very difficult time. But I put my dad on a pedestal because I thought this is a man he was 41 years old, seven children, working in a factory job, trying to earn a living, which was difficult in 1972, to yeah. support seven children. Had no mom, wife is gone suddenly, and they are left to deal with seven children after doing a day's work. Mm-hmm. And of course, kids will fight and kids will argue. Yeah. So when I look back, I think, how did he do it? Oh, how did he manage? And... Then I remember this therapist saying to me, hold on a second, you're talking about your dad, your dad, your dad. Mm. What about you? Mm. And I said, well, you know, uh, I said I was the eldest, you know, that's my job. No, no, he said, it's not it's not specifically your job to become a mom. And he said, I remember him explaining, overnight, Monday night, you were fine, Tuesday morning, you were mother to six younger siblings. You had your dad's dinner on the table. Every day, you had to, you know, his tea every evening. You fed them all, you clothed them all, you bathed them all. And he said, your life changed dramatically and drastically. Mm. And nobody came along and said, are you okay? And they didn't, because it was 1972. There was no such mention, no mention of therapy. No, of course We not. didn't know what therapy was. It was something it's in an American movie. Like, <laughs> literally. Literally. Yeah. Um, and... It was just the norm. It was my job. I did it. I never thought anything about it. I know. Um, did I miss going out with my friends when they knocked at the door and I had a younger brother of a year and ten months old to mind and a three and a half year old sister? Yes, I did miss out. Absolutely. Big time. Mm. But in the moment, it, it was just part of this is norm. This is the norm for me. Yeah. I can't go out. I can't go there. I can't do those things. But this is the norm. This is what anybody would do. Yeah. And and I'm the same as anybody else. I'm no different. When you're put in that position, you yeah. just... And they just said that your father's life, in a way, returned to normal, if you could say mm-hmm. normal, in I the sense that what you mean. he may have been out of work for two months and it took him about two months to get himself back mm-hmm. because his colleagues came out and said, and, and I remember our local priest coming up and saying, you need to get back to work. You, s- you know, seven children, you need to mind them, you need to look after them, you need to get back to work. And eventually, after about two months, he got back to work. And then he was a huge uh, GA. Uh, he had a huge presence in a club mm-hmm. in Cork. And he would coach football teams, hurling teams. And they came along after a few months and said, you need to get back. You need to get back into training. You need to get back coaching. You need to get back. And the therapist said, so his life returned without your mom. Mm-hmm. But his life returned to the normal everyday mm-hmm. work meeting colleagues, having the coffee break or the tea break, going out in the evenings, doing the coaching, and they said, your life didn't no. go back to normal. Your life changed. Of course. And nothing was normal anymore. And did you continue going to school at that time? I, 
Well, she passed away on the 1st of May and three weeks later I went in to sit my junior cert. And that was another part that came out. Like today, you know, we make a big deal about kids when they're yeah. doing the exams. Mm. And rightly so, yeah. because they worry and yeah. about exams. I remember going in to do my junior cert and my dad didn't even know I was doing it. I remember coming home and no one saying, how'd you get on today? That's heartbreaking, though. Like, it's, it's sad. But at the time, it was like, I didn't expect anyone to ask I me. Know. They had other things to worry about. So therefore... I suppose that responsibility came very, very young, mm. but I accepted it as the norm, and it wasn't the norm. Mm. And probably that's what later years I needed counselling at that time, which wasn't given to any of us. I'm not saying my siblings didn't need it. Of course they did, I'm sure. But um, just in the role as mother, it's a hard, hard thing, I can tell you. Yeah, and looking imagine. back now, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I stayed sane. I don't know how I did it. Did I became though. bossy boots. <laughs> but I, I, I said earlier on, it, I think you never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. That's it. And, and we're all put in different circumstances. You know that. But we all, everybody goes through something that they they come out of and they think, how the bloody hell did I do that? Or you do. People would say to you, I'd say to you right now, Pat, how in the name of God did you do that? But you did. Yes. Because you were in it. And, yes. you know, That's it. And yep. tell me when you came out of St. Patrick's, you were in there for six months. I was in there over six months, which was most unusual to be in that length of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and would your husband and Heather come see you? Or oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And I have to say this for people listening. I'm begging you. Yeah. I'm begging you. Heather was only, as I said, just coming up to 18 doing yeah. her, leave, her leaving cert. And I wasn't there for that. But her father was. And she had mm-hmm. very good support from um, friends, families and their moms. Because I made it clear to her, I'm going into St. Patrick's Hospital, which is a psychiatric hospital. I am suffering with chronic depression and anxiety. So she, nothing was lied, nothing was sweetened up. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the way it is. Unfortunately, I have to go into the hospital. And I did say to her, I don't want you to hide to any of your friends or pretend that I'm going on a holiday to Spain or anything. Mm-hmm. If they ask, you let them know exactly where I am mm-hmm. and why I'm there and please open up and use the word depression. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it was in the 70s, 80s, you never mentioned the word cancer. You would, it was the big C mm. because people were whispering the big C. And I said, I'm begging you, if we need, if we want to break the stigma you for young people, conversations we, yeah. as young as five, six, seven, mammy has depression. Yeah. What's that? Oh, she's sick. They may not fully understand, but they will then eventually take the word as the norm. I think uh, mental health and mental illness, all of that needs to be discussed more in schools as they come up along. It needs Absolutely. to become part of the, the curriculum, definitely, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And I, I think it would be nice for teachers, any teachers who've had the experience of depression, which I'm sure they have, mm-hmm. they're not perfect, they're all human, is to come along and talk to classes yeah. and use the word. If we just use the word depression and make it the norm, and say, this is it, depression is an illness, so that if someone comes to 15, 12, 16, 20, they know, well, this is the norm, this is an illness, this is part of life, and now I have it, but I can deal with it. Just open, we can get help. Open up the conversation so people feel they can talk, particularly men as well, that they feel they Men, can, uh, big time. Yeah, big yeah. time. I do think it's improving, I think. Uh, yes. Yeah, hopefully. It is, it is yeah. yeah. Tell me, how do you maintain it? So since then... Yeah, you know you, your life has changed dramatically. Yes. Um, I certainly would never have guessed any of that about your past from knowing you. And um, but how do you, how do you maintain such positivity and uh, you know and and your mental health? How do you maintain that now? I well, a huge help to me was the the fashion industry. Actually, really? now without my husband and daughter, I have to say, mm-hmm. I I would I have survived as well and would I have recovered as well? No, I don't think so. My husband had gave me the greatest support, and no matter what I wanted, and do I need to hear? Do you want me up this weekend? Do you not want me? Do you want to see? That's you an know, important conversation, Pat, because I'm sure a lot of families, because I do think an awful lot of families are affected, don't know what to do to support a person. Yes. What would you say? I would say that just ask. Mm-hmm. It's just a simple, how are you today? Just even when I was in hospital, I'd get a phone call every evening, obviously, mm-hmm. and we'd have chats. There was no FaceTime mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about FaceTime. But just the chat on the phone. And I can tell you something. There were some evenings when 
in the early weeks in particular where I might want to talk for two minutes and that was it. Just say, this happened today, this happened today, mm-hmm. then this happened. Don't take it personally to mm-hmm. a husband or a child or a daughter or a son, anyone. It's just, it, it's a process. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that process like takes time uh, because it didn't happen overnight, your depression. It, it took a long time to manifest into this, as they call the black dog or a big black cloud on you. Uh, that grows and grows. And it's going to take time it to lessen and lessen and lessen and I would say just be open and ask are you up for a chat tonight or do you feel you know just be there isn't it just be there just be there and let them know you're there a lot of people will come to me and ask me you know how to help a friend who's grieving or a friend who's going through cancer or something and I'm like all you can literally do is be there and let them know yes. you're there yes you know and uh, you might feel you're pestering them but just consistently let them know you're there absolutely and yeah. it's the greatest gift you can give anyone in the world is an uh, Having been a carer at 15 years old, mm-hmm. and I must have, what happens when you're a carer at 15? And then I think if you're the eldest anyway, mm-hmm. you feel responsible for younger siblings, whether you lose a parent or you don't, even if you have both parents. The older sibling, I think, always feels responsible for the younger. Oh, my God, Ma, he's running, he's going to fall, she's going to fall. Um, I think that needs to change a little bit. I think the parents need to say that's not your responsibility because I have seen some of the older going, you're not responsible for him. Mm-hmm. Help him, teach him, you know, whatever. Yeah. But you're not responsible. If he runs across the room, yeah. it's not your job. And the other thing I would say is to young carers, mm-hmm. and there must be a massive amount of young carers in the country caring for parents. Yeah, I read some stories there over the last couple of years uh, particularly during COVID, where you might have a 12-year-old boy looking after a mom with MS or something. Um, the father may not be in the picture. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, reach out to that young boy. Reach out to that young girl. Because yeah. I'll tell you, having been a carer and so young, it's the loneliest place on the planet. Mm-hmm. It is the low. Because your siblings just see you as the person, to grow the person that was there every day yeah. before your mom died and after your mom died. You were just in the house. Nothing has changed for them. But your siblings don't come in and say, how are you feeling today? You're here all day. We can go out. We can go to school. We can do this. We can do that. And they're young as well. Mm. But even in that later years, you know, come along and say, my God, how did you do it? I'm not sure I could have done it if I was in your shoes. Please, for young carers, check in on it constantly. Give them a break. We all know of somebody in some circumstance that we kind of say, God loves them, but maybe we should be checking in with them more absolutely check in yeah. it will make such a world of a difference to that person yeah. and they may not you might offer to help they may not want the help yeah. but the fact that you thought of them you know it, it does so much for the mind yeah. that oh my god people are thinking of me yeah of course i remember like i suppose really shortly afterwards when when my younger sibling was began school and went to school and i i then was able to go out and get a job part-time mm-hmm. But I remember putting on makeup for the first time, mm. and only because my friends had makeup, so yeah. of course I had makeup. And you know, without an uh, older sister or a mom, like, yeah. do you even know how to put on makeup? No. I know these days everyone uses YouTube you and stuff, but we didn't know, like. We didn't know, and I'm just like, your friends are, and your, my friend's older sister mm. would be helping us and fixing the eyebrows yeah. for us and things like that. But I always remember, and it's a very common thing, actually, that people believe. You know, when people talk about, oh, she's so vain, oh, she's so vain, oh, she's so painful. Mm. And we're very, we're very, easy, we're, we, we're very quick to criticize mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Men don't criticize each other like no, women criticize no. women. It's like a coping mechanism, it's but women where they knock each other down uh, because of their own insecurities. It's a, and it's a horrible uh, thing. It's a horrible, horrible thing. But I remember putting on that makeup, and I'll always remember the first compliment. I ever got a positive remark was from someone who said, oh, my God, you look amazing. You look, oh, oh my God, that's beautiful. You've changed completely. And from then on, I used makeup as a coping mechanism Mm. because I might get a compliment. Mm. And, you know, just to get a compliment was, oh, my God, I must be doing something right. Yeah. Because being a carer, you didn't you get never that got positive a reassurance from anybody. It from wasn't coming at you, like no, no. 
and just to get that. And we all need it. We all need yeah. some bit of uh, reassurance, be it a compliment, just something to tell something. us we're doing something right. And if it looks so be it, whatever it might be, we need that. Absolutely. But then Everyone. we need to give it also. We need to give it. Do you know? Yeah, we do. Like, I agree. And if I ever get an opportunity, like if I see an opportunity, mm. I'll always say to someone, you're doing a great job. Yeah. Oh my God, look at you. How amazing are you? It's just, and it's small and things. Like I would often say, if I was at the coffee shop and somebody had me coffee, I'd say, your nails are lovely. Do you know? Yes. Like it's such a small thing, but if, if you can just... And people so appreciate that you notice that. Yeah, thing. it's the little thing sometimes, isn't it? And I know thing. it might seem trivial or vain or whatever it might yeah. be, but it's just, again, it's just that positive reassurance in your life, isn't it, really? Like it's just what it is yeah. all about. And I found makeup then became like a mask mm. for me, in okay. a way, I suppose, mm-hmm. because I found if I kept putting on the makeup, mm-hmm. I was getting that reassurance that okay. I had never got before. So, would you always have been glam, do you think, from that point on, Pat? <coughs> Um, I would now. I must uh, give my mother credit. My okay. mother was absolutely. Personally, we all think our own mothers are beautiful anyway. Mm. But she was a beauty, mm. blonde, blue-eyed, uh, petite. I mean, she had. I remember her after having her sixth child, yeah. and she wore seven and a half stone. And I remember going to the chemist with her yeah. to buy tablets. They were called Weight On, W A T E O N, Weight On. And it's only now, like 40 years later, yeah. you think, oh my God, you had a greyhound breed. Like you yeah. were going down to look for weight on. Because she felt too slim. She was naturally that greyhound breed. She always had her nails done to perfection with yeah. six, seven children um, every day. And then it was uh, her makeup was minimal. But at the same time, she always looked well. She always had the hair, lovely headscarves at the time. There were headscarves. I think she was probably the first woman in Ballyvihan at the mm-hmm. time where we lived to actually wear a trousers probably in about 1969, 70. That's funny now, right? Because if I think of you or I've got Pat in a fashion show, I'm like, trouser suit. Like, to, yes. to me, that's what you rock is a trouser suit. I loved I, you in modern like, And I loved it. And she loved it. And like other, you know, other mothers maybe in the area at the time would be very reluctant mm-hmm. and... Uh, to move forward with fashion, but 6970, mm. there was big changes uh, at, in those decades, and she embraced that and loved the trousers, and I was kind of proud, oh, I'm always wearing my trousers, yeah. and, you know, most of them had the very sensible skirts, yeah. and, and um, so she was like that, but also because money was tight, mm-hmm. she was an incredible person at, um, like, she might have one dress in the wardrobe, we'll say, that was for going out dress. You know, yeah. your Sunday best. Yeah. Uh, and they would go to this uh, social in the community centre every Tuesday evening, once a month. Yeah. So, because she couldn't afford to buy another dress. Looking back now, I understand that. Yeah. Um, is that she would crochet a collar. Because she was very, very so artistic. And she would put the crochet collar on the dress, maybe a different little collar. And then the next time... She would buy fabric and put a bit of lace or something around the edge of a little bit of white fabric, like those collars you'd yeah, buy, and put that on a dress and a cuff, yeah. just to change it up a little bit. You obviously did inherit it from so your mum. So I, I definitely, definitely got that from my mum. Yeah. Tell me, Pat, what would you say to younger girls looking at going into modelling and you know looking up to the likes of you now? Oh my God, I mean, if you're looking up to the likes of me, thank you very much. <laughs> I'll take that. But I'm sure there is, though. <laughs> the advice I would get, if for younger people going into modelling, it's changed um, dramatically for the better. Okay. okay? So don't ever worry about your height. Mm-hmm. Like, they usually say that um, in most agencies, they will say five foot eight is the minimum height. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. Things are changing. They're now going to have to embrace and look for people of five foot three, five foot four, five foot five. Okay, so yeah. height should be gone, mm-hmm. and not completely gone, but they will have to embrace that that petite size. Yeah, and more inclusive. Yes, to make it more inclusive, and as you said, there are so many shapes and sizes in the country. Yeah, in the world, yeah. humans are different shapes and sizes, and the sooner the fashion industry embrace that and understand that, I I can never figure out. There is a target market for every. For a shop, mm-hmm. right? You have a target market. Mm-hmm. 
And what still gets me probably to this day, and I'd probably be killed. Go on. <laughs> I'd probably be killed. Um, you have very high-end fashion labels and mm-hmm. boutiques. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have very high-end. Yeah. They're pretty expensive. Yeah. And to me, I do not, for the life of me, understand how they choose an 18, 20, 22-year-old model, mm-hmm. 5 foot 10, mm-hmm. size 8, to model only in their clothes. Yeah. No, I agree. Honestly, I think it needs it's to be a mix of It's not your target market. No, no, I agree. And like we said earlier on, the mother, the bride, it needs to be somebody that's relevant to that. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I feel the same with high-end clothes and the people with the money. Like I'm in a position now, Maeve, my husband is retired. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we worked hard all our life yeah. and we're in a very, very lucky position of mm-hmm. being able to afford the extras. Yeah, of course. Um, and this is my time. I can go up to Brown Thomas. Yeah. I can go into a high-end boutique. Yeah. I have the money in my card. I have yeah. the money in my purse. Yeah. Um, well, when I see it on an 8, size 8, on a 5 or 10 runway, I go, no, no, that's not for me at all. That's yeah. absolutely not for me. When is it going to click with them? Yeah, the high-ends haven't changed over yet. It seems to be the more no. kind of middle no. ground. Yeah. High-end are supermodels. That's what they use. And I remember it's one... still considered more slick, more sophisticated, which yeah. is wrong. It doesn't make sense. No, I agree. Because you will not get an 18-year-old, 5 foot 10, going to college, going in to buy that outfit you're running yeah, down the runway. No, I agree. You just won't. And tell me, if, if somebody older looked at you and thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm 50, like, could I really get into modelling? Absolutely. And how do you get past Absolutely. the imposter syndrome? How do you... like? At what moment you just say, no, Pat, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out there and do this. I just had, I like I like I said, I, I, <laughs> there's one girl, <laughs> she's a very good friend mm-hmm. in Catwalk Model Agency mm-hmm. with Mandy, uh, Dervla, and Dervla, I, she won't mind me saying, I'm sure, but she had her, I think, her 50th birthday recently, um, and we got on very well. She's a very funny person mm-hmm. and a, be- a, f- a wonderful sense of humour. I have zero sense of humour. I'm very droll. You're very droll, but you're very funny. I'm droll. <laughs> and my daughter says, you're funny, but you don't understand. You don't see when you're funny. Okay. Um, but anyway, she, um, we get together. What was, I'm after? Dervla in, um, in Catwalk with age. Age. Um, and I said, oh yes, about sort of being an imposter. I feel like an imposter. And I keep saying to her all the time, why am I here? I have a humpy back. I'm 66. I said, I'm ancient. I mean, have a look at the neck. I just don't understand. And she'd be on the floor at times, like, but I'd say, what way is the humpy back? Is it okay? Hide it behind. <laughs> because, you know, from yeah. years of bad posture yeah. or whatever, yeah. it happens. And it happens with age, unfortunately. But she, like, she laughs and goes, oh, my God, you're at the star of the show. Like, come on, <laughs> come on, get out there. Isn't it funny how we always all see the best in everyone else, but we're our own worst critic? Well, we I are. don't know why that is. Like, you just said your neck now. I think you look absolutely stunning. For me, my double chin. But yes, oh, really? I don't but we you all chin. have something, don't we? We do. Everybody has something. And it's just to get past those hang-ups and realise that and just uh, women supporting each other and, you know, all of that just... It makes a huge difference. Yeah. It really does. I would be lost, I mean, without the people in the industry um, and in the fashion industry like yourself. It's supporting yourself the with the right people, cheats. isn't it? Friends, oh family, God. work, everything. Yeah. It needs to be the right people. Absolutely. And like for right you people. to transition into modelling that time, I'm sure certain people in your life may have been like, who does your one think she is? Do you know, yeah. but I think they're yes. not the people that you're going to grow forward with. Do you know no. what I mean? No. And that's okay too. It's okay too. And do you know who I'm my biggest support of all was, I have to say, um, my dad. Really? And it's just the most, it's the funniest thing because I go into Moran Dahi mm-hmm. and I'm in a very fortunate position when I went into the day show, I live in Douglas. Yeah. So I get the bus outside the oh, door. So handy into town. Land into the Imperial Hotel yeah. and down to the studio, so... The, the greatest gig you could ever wish yeah. for for me. It is great. It's a crack. And they're great crack in there lovely, as well, yeah. I must say. And I'd go in. But every time I'd be on the Today Show, I'd get home then, yeah. back on the bus, and the minute I'd come home, Dad is on the phone. And he'd always say, well, I saw you today on the show. 
I have to ask you one question again. How is it you always get the most beautiful outfits of all the models? Isn't that lovely? And I just be a tear in my eye, and I miss that. I absolutely miss it. He used to ring me every single time I was on. I can just relate so much because that's my own dad. Like, and he records it and everything. Like, I'm like, you're not going to watch it back. Like, yes. And and then he'd ring me then the next day and say. Oh, listen, I have to ring you now because mm. Mrs. Mullins down the road, yeah. I met Mrs. Mullins, she came up and said, oh my God, I saw Pat on the television, tell her she was magnificent. Isn't it lovely and that he, he got to, to see you to doing me. that though, Pat, isn't oh, it? Like, do you know? He was so, he was proud of Incredibly proud, of he course. He really was, he really was. And tell I always, I had the best. Oh, listen, <laughs> I understand. Can I ask you, Pat, just one last question. Um, 37 years of marriage. 37 What's years of marriage. I'm only 10. I'm like, come on. Like, will I? 37? You've done very well, 10. Thanks, thanks, thanks. 37 years of marriage. I, you'll be laughing at this now, but my youngest sister, mm-hmm. her friend said, when I got married, uh, Andrew, myself got married, my youngest sister said, my friend said that um, that won't last five minutes because we were complete opposite. Okay. The complete and utter opposite. But I'll tell you what he has, a sense of humour mm. that it just is the greatest thing on the planet. I couldn't wish for anything more. Isn't that lovely? He, no matter how serious it gets, yeah, he has the sense of humour. Yeah. And he he's easygoing, mm. he's calm. Um, and to me, like, I'm, as I said, <laughs> I have no sense of humour. I'm droll. <laughs> They himself and Heather will look at watch at uh, comedy programs, yeah. and I'm there going, yeah. Mm. <laughs> and she's like, Mom, don't you get the joke? And he says that your mother, for God's sake. And then he always says, Heather, you're very lucky. You got my looks and your mother's. Or no, you got my brains and your mother's looks. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an insult to me. Oh no, Pat she's a very bright girl. Yeah, she's lovely. I know Heather. She's but, lovely. Uh, no, he's a wonderful husband. I have to say, and the most supportive. My dad idolised him. He is just the. So- he's sensitive, mm. and sensitive to what you want and what you are. Mm. And uh, w- like we get on very well. Don't get me wrong; we've had our fights. I, think I fire normal. things at him as well <laughs> over the years. <laughs> I remember as I only moved into a new neighbourhood in Green. Yeah, and I remember getting videotapes because he had so many recorded, and I remember getting a bag and firing them out the driveway. <laughs> All the neighbours talking about it. They were all you. new neighbours and they must have been saying, oh my God, we're in for a treat here. <laughs> it didn't happen anymore after that. Uh, we, moved, we moved on you to moved. different technology. <laughs> um, Pat, thank you so much. Honestly, I oh, brought you in here today pleasure. not knowing what we were going to discuss, not knowing would it oh. just be fashion. And the whole... The whole idea of the podcast was that everyone has a story and yours has blown me away. You know, I never oh. would have known your backstory it explains how you're such a lovely warm person to be honest you've gone through so much no it does because you you are and I think it's just lovely that you shared it and you were so honest and I just really appreciate it it's an absolute pleasure thank you very much thank you so much